Time. It's just two days to St. Patrick's Day, the great celebration worldwide for Ireland's patron saint. All over the world, people will be lifting glasses, glasses of Guinness, to toast St. Patrick. But who was Arthur Guinness? What would he think of the modern celebrations of St. Patrick's Day? I'm Bob McAvoy, and this is the Semper Reformata podcast. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 to 10, we read, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not as we have opportunity. Let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now you might wonder, what's that got to do with Arthur Guinness? Well, have you ever had a pint of Guinness? In my humble opinion, it's foul stuff. I simply can't understand why anyone would want to go out and drink eight pints of that in one evening, let alone one pint, and yet they do. Have you ever looked at a bottle of Guinness? There's a signature in that bottle, or on the can. It's the signature of Arthur Guinness. And the Guinness Company have been promoting that in recent years with their Arthur's Day advert every September when we're all invited to raise a glass of Guinness to Arthur. I would venture to suggest that Arthur Guinness would be turning in his grave at that So the question we want to ask today is, who was Arthur Guinness? Arthur was born in 1725 in Ireland. It was just 35 years after the famous Battle of the Boyne. And he was brought up within the Anglican Church, the Church of Ireland. His uncle, the Reverend Arthur Price, was the Archbishop of Cashel. And he left Arthur a legacy, a gift of £100 in his will. It was a huge amount of money in those days. And with that money, Arthur opened his very first brewery in Ireland, in Lickslip. Now, before we start to criticise Arthur for his chosen profession, let's remember what living conditions were like in that period in Irish history. Remember that the people of those days had no knowledge whatsoever of microbiology or bacteriology. No one knew how diseases spread. Recycling certainly hadn't been invented, so when they dumped their rubbish and waste, they often contaminated the very water sources which supplied their drinking water. Worse still, raw sewage ran down the streets and into the rivers. The infection rate in towns and cities was high and people were dying of it, and the result was that people began to drink alcohol instead of water. This was to avoid the possibility of infection, because the alcohol killed the germs. 
Of course, many were able to do this in moderation and benefit from it, but many couldn't. And the fact that the government had forbidden the importation of alcohol in 1689, with the result that people were setting up illegal stills, distilling their own spirits with high alcohol levels, made the situation even worse. The consequences were inevitable. Some historians refer to this time as the gin years, when drunkenness and debauchery and robbery and murder made Irish towns and cities very unsafe places to be. It was this awful situation that inspired people like Arthur Guinness to set up small breweries. He wanted to improve the social conditions, but how could he, when so many were either dying of illness or falling victim to drunkenness? Well, there was one way. He could open a brewery. Arthur wanted to make an alcoholic drink that would be clean and infection-free, full of goodness so that poor people could have some nourishment, and of course compared to the potching that the illicit distillers were making, its alcohol content was very low indeed. Guinness killed the germs that were in the water, and was actually quite nutritious. So the old Guinness advert was rightly able to claim Guinness is good for you. A bottle of Guinness a day is still a great tonic, and until we became politically correct, every patient in the old geriatric wards of our hospitals had a bottle of Guinness every evening to drink. So young Arthur Guinness soon became very wealthy, and eventually he opened up his new brewery in Dublin, and as recent Guinness advertisements have reminded us, he took a 9,000-year lease on a four-acre brewery at St James's Gate for an annual rent of £45. It was while he was in Dublin that Arthur attended a service in St. Patrick's Cathedral to hear an evangelist called John Wesley. Wesley preached about Christ and him crucified for sinners. Those meetings continued, and during those services, Arthur Guinness the Brewer came to saving faith in Christ. What a difference that made. He'd been set free from sin through the unconditional love of the Saviour. His determination to help others in service to Jesus became the driving force of his life. Arthur dedicated his life and his wealth to the service of those who were poor. He founded and financed the first Sunday schools in Ireland, one of a number of men who founded and run a hospital for the poor. He donated vast sums of money to charity to care for the poor, and he spoke out against the materialism and the selfish, uncaring attitudes of the wealthy classes. To work for Guinness in those days was a great privilege. In a day when people laboured almost slavishly for meagre wages, Arthur cared for his workers. He was at the time the best employer in Ireland, provided them with homes to live in and medicine and good salaries. Arthur married Olivia Whitmore, whose father was a grocer in the Temple Bar area of Dublin. They married in St Mary's Church in 1761 and together they had 21 children. 
Infant mortality rates were high, and only ten of them made it to adulthood. Their family descendants have included politicians, statesmen, bankers, missionaries, and pastors. Guinness was, for a time, the Speaker of the New Zealand Parliament. Oz Guinness is a popular Christian apologist and author. He tells the story of an Irish widow who had fled to Scotland with her own two children. Her intention had been to commit suicide. In Scotland she heard the gospel and was saved, and returned home to Ireland, where she met one of Arthur Guinness's sons, and they married. And every day she prayed for their children. Not just her own children, but for the next twelve generations of Guinness children. Her prayers were answered. That line of the family has kept the faith of their forefather Arthur. And four generations later her family are still believers in Christ. What faith? She took God at his word. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Arthur Guinness was a huge influence for good in Irish society. He died in September 1803 and his mortal remains are buried in County Kildare. We shall meet him in glory. <laughs> 